Well, there you have it. The Bernie has spoken. Did you feel the burn? That was his campaign slogan in the presidential primary. Maybe you did feel the burn. Maybe you felt some heartburn. Maybe you felt heartache. That the confession of the Christian faith, the confession of the Christian faith disqualifies you from public office. How do you feel about that? And how should we respond? How should we respond to such a, a statement? Well, you know, I have an idea. I have a suggestion. Let's let Jesus respond. How about that? I have, a, I have a different title for the message this morning, but it does have a subtitle. The subtitle is Jesus Answers Burning. That's, that's the subtitle. Jesus Answers Burning. And Jesus' answer to Bernie is found in the passage that we read this morning, John chapter 14. If you'd like to look at your text again, John chapter 14, page 901 of the Bible provided, you will hear Jesus answer that question. Jesus in the committee room. Jesus interviewed. What was his answer? How would he respond? Well, he's responded this way. Verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's Jesus' answer. When we speak, we are not to speak for ourselves as Christians. We do not have the privilege of having a view, our view, of Christianity. Christianity is defined by the founder of the Christian faith, Christ himself. Christians are commanded to say what the king says. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, I use this clip this morning not in any way for a political statement. I have no intention whatsoever of making a political statement about any political party. I only use that very, very clear, yes, and somewhat startling exchange. Interesting, you don't see things like that on national media outlets. 
Isn't that strange? But that is the interaction. But what I want us to understand is, regardless of your views on Bernie Sanders, that is a very widely held view of Christian doctrine. That salvation is through Christ alone. A person does not have to believe that. But no honest person can read the Bible and deny that that's what it says. The message of Jesus is that he is the only way of salvation. And no one can reach God the Father except through him. Now that statement, Christ alone, is one of the primary undergirding truths of what we are discussing this summer here in our Summer Reformation series. In this 500th anniversary of the beginning of what we think of as the Protestant Reformation, we are, we are looking at the five great truths that God, by his grace, blessed with such power in the 16th century, 14th, 17th century, to bring an incredible reawakening of the gospel truth. And the world is still being impacted by that. But it was simply, friends, a revival of what the Lord had already said and already taught in his word. Five great truths on which the gospel of Jesus Christ, the message of the Lord for the salvation of all the world is based. It is a message of grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, through the scriptures alone, for the glory of God alone. Now, we began this a few weeks ago, focusing on the message of grace alone, that God's salvation is completely, totally out of his gracious heart and not based on any merit that we have. And then the last couple of weeks, Al, one of our pastors, very powerfully, wonderfully talked about faith alone. That is only by faith, reliance on Jesus, trust in Jesus Christ, that that grace is imparted to us in salvation. Now this morning, what I want us to recognize is the absolute essential of understanding that salvation is found in Christ alone. Christ alone. That is where true liberty is found. True liberty is not found in the national emblem on a passport that you may hold. 
Liberty, true liberty, is found only through Jesus Christ, the King of glory. This morning, I want us to listen to Jesus as he talks about himself as being the only way for people to reach God. Now, here's the context. You have your Bible? The context, make sure we understand this. It is Jesus last night with his disciples prior to his crucifixion. He has finished instituting communion or the Lord's Supper. He has had the Passover celebration. And he knows that he has just a few hours until he will be arrested. And his passion, his suffering will begin. And so he is spending these last hours in preparing his disciples for what is to come. And he is intentionally putting into their hearts an understanding that he is leaving. He's about to take a journey. But he wants them to be comforted in knowing where he is going, what he will be doing, and also take comfort in knowing that he will return and they will see him again. And so Jesus shares that in so many beautiful ways, but this passage we read this morning is one of the most beautiful. As Jesus talks about these things, I want you to notice he's very personal. This is, this is so personal. He opens his heart to his disciples and he shares about his personal mission. I want you to see this as he talks so personally. He talks about his personal mission. He says, I'm about to begin a new aspect of my mission. And his mission is an unimaginable promise. What he says that he is about to go do is an unimaginable promise to you and me today. Listen to it in verse 2, if you would, chapter 14. Jesus said, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Now, this is one of the most beloved passages in all of God's word. It is so treasured by so many people, especially as folks deal with the grief of a loved one's passing, or perhaps as people know their own approaching departure from this life. There's this incredible, wonderful passage where Jesus has made this promise. But I want you to know it's even more beautiful and touching if you understand the imagery here. Because you see, we, reading this verse of scripture, these path, this passage, we understand much of it, but in our culture, we would not recognize the incredible, intimate, touching beauty of what Jesus is describing. Because what Jesus is sharing here is the image of a love story. It's the image, actually, of a wedding story. 
Because in the Middle East culture at that time, here is what would happen in a wedding, leading up to the wedding and after the wedding. The bridegroom would pay the bride price. We might call it a dowry in our language or in in another age, a dowry. It's a, a bride price. The, the bridegroom would pay that to the father of the bride. And there would be a, a sealing of the intent for marriage. Then the bridegroom would return to his father's house. And he would begin the construction of a new room in his father's house. Because in that day, it was extended families living together. And so when someone was brought into the family through marriage, a room was added to the father's house. After the room had been prepared and the day of the wedding had arrived, the bridegroom would return to the home of his bride. He would call for her. His friends would be with him, members of his family. He would call for his bride. And the father of the bride would bring the bride out. And the bride and groom would then walk hand in hand back to the groom's house, his father's house. And there, there would be held a feast of joy, a marriage supper as the marriage between the bridegroom, the bride was sealed and celebrated. Now that is the image Jesus is talking about here. His disciples knew he's describing the process of a marriage. But do you see what the Lord is doing as he's sharing about his mission? He's making it so personal and it becomes even more precious, doesn't it, when you understand that? That the Lord, our Savior, came to this earth to pay the bride price. He came to pay the price for his bride. His bride is his people. And the price was the price of their freedom, the price of their sins. And Jesus on the cross paid the price for his bride. Then he rose from the dead He went back to his father's house and for 2,000 years, the carpenter from Nazareth has been building a room for his bride. That must be some kind of room. That must be some kind of house, right? And one day, it will be time for him to come back and he will come with all of his attendants. He will come with the glory of his angels from his father's house and he will call for his bride to come out. And his people will rise 
to meet him. And he will take them to his father's house. And they will be forever united in the covenant of love. This is what the Lord is doing. This is what he is describing. He's describing his personal mission. His personal mission of bringing his people to himself. Sharing his father's house with them forever. Now Jesus knew he would be gone a long time. His disciples seemingly didn't think it would be a very long time, but Jesus knew he would be gone a long time. And he knew that his disciples would have their own journey. He knew that his disciples then, he knew that you and me as his disciples, if you are one of his disciples, that you would have your own life's journey. And he wanted us to know that while he was preparing the place for us and we are having our own journey, that Jesus himself was going to be our personal provision. He has a personal mission in heaven, but he is with us by his spirit and he is our personal provision. He provides for everything we need on our journey. That's the reason Jesus said, it's recorded in verse six. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Now the emphasis there in the text, notice, is on the word I and the word the. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Jesus takes his disciples and he takes Thomas, one of his disciples, back to the very beginning where their, where their journey began with him. Now he's speaking specifically to Thomas in a sense because Thomas is the one who spoke up and you've just got to love Thomas, right? You know, Thomas is the, I like to call him the Eeyore of the disciples. He's the Eeyore of the disciples. You know, if, <laughs> if, if something bad can happen, it will. But guess what? Jesus loves Eeyores like you and me. Jesus loves Eeyores and he sweetly reminds Thomas and us who are also doubt, doubters at times that he will be with us on our journey. And that's the reason he says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Now let's look at what Jesus says that he alone is. We're talking about Christ alone. What is Jesus alone to us? Well, he says, I, I alone am 
the way. Way means a path. It means a road. Jesus is saying that he himself is our path. Now, he did not say it would be an easy path, right? He did not say that our journey would be a popular path. As a matter of fact, Jesus did not, he not say just the opposite. He said there is a broad road that leads to destruction and many there are who walk that road, but there is a narrow and difficult road for those who follow me, but those who walk that road will find eternal life. He did not say our road would be easy. He did not say our road would be popular and we should not expect it to be. But he did say he himself would be our path. He himself would be our journey. You see, folks, following Jesus, listen carefully, is much more when you begin to understand it, following Jesus, our journey is much more than a journey with Jesus. Listen carefully. Our journey really is a journey into Jesus. <laughs> it's a journey into knowing our Lord more and more as our life passes and we are walking our life we are journeying into Jesus. And I want to tell you, he's a great roadmap, right? <laughs> There's no end to the treasures that are in our Lord Jesus Christ. And his journey is a journey into himself. I am the way, Jesus says. I am the way. I am your road. It's a journey into knowing the Lord. Then he so, notice he says this, I am, I alone am the way. And then he says, I am the truth. Did you notice that? I am the truth. Now here we find out something about Jesus. Jesus did not believe truth was relative. He didn't. Jesus did not believe in many sources of truth. He didn't believe that. Jesus did not believe truth was changeable. He did not believe there were many sources of truth. Jesus believed that truth was personal and permanent. He said, I am the truth. Friends, Jesus was quite intolerant. That's an intolerant statement. I alone am the truth. That's pretty dogmatic, wouldn't you say? I alone am the truth. But Jesus is so loving and so kind. Do you see what he's saying? He is saying... I alone am the truth and I will be your truth. <laughs> I will be your guide. You're going on a journey and you need a guide that you can depend on. You need a compass that will never lead you in the wrong direction. And I want you to know that I personally will be that for you. 
I will be your guide. I will be your compass. Now, I ask you this morning, my friend, is he? Is Jesus the guide of your life? Is he your compass? Do you regularly check your attitudes, your relationships, your actions, your values, your goals, your aspirations? Do you regularly check those with your compass the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus. Recently, I talked with a young person whose life, a tangled mess. And I said, I want you to know everything about this mess can be straightened out and corrected if you will sincerely say this and mean it from the bottom of your heart. It really will be the expression of your heart if you will say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Lord, I don't know where I am. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know how I got here. Lord, there's the key word. Lord, master, what do you want me to do? Friends, that prayer will redirect your whole life and be a constant guide because then you recognize that life has become so much more simple, so much more clear, so much more focused when you are looking to Jesus as your truth and he himself becomes your guide and your compass. Jesus said, I will be and I alone will be your truth. I am the truth. And then Jesus said, I am the life. I am the life. Now, John evidently listened very closely to Jesus as one of his disciples because John, who wrote this gospel and he wrote the three epistles of John and the book of the Revelation, John it is above all the other disciples who picked up on Jesus' use of the word life. And he uses it all the time. That Jesus is the life. The, the opening verses of this, this gospel. How does this gospel open? It opens with this statement. In the beginning was what? The word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. All things were made by him. And without him was not anything made which was made. In him was life. In Jesus, in the word, is life. John wrote about it another way. He said this, he that has the son has 
life. If Jesus is the life, if he is the life bringer, if life is in him, if you have Jesus, you have life. John also wrote this. He said, this is the record. This is the testimony. Listen carefully. What he meant was, this is the gospel message. This is the record. This is the testimony of God that God has given to us life. And this life is in his son. That's the record. It is life. Life in Jesus. What is life? That means life from God. It means life with God. That's what Jesus gives. Friends, do you understand something? I hope you can track with me on this. Only Jesus can turn our living into life. Only Jesus can turn your living into life. Living is not having life unless living is a life with Jesus. Because apart from Jesus, our living, the Bible says, is a living death. But with Jesus, he's our life. Now, Jesus wanted to be crystal clear about who he was alone and nobody else was. He wanted to be crystal clear. He wanted to make it so plain that even Bernie Sanders could understand it. So I want you to listen to Jesus' personal limitation. He makes a limitation. He says this in verse six. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, does that sound unkind? Nobody's going to reach God except through me. And people would say today, that's so unkind. That's so unkind. Friends, listen. It's only unkind if it's untrue. It's not unkind if it's true. If it's true that Jesus is the only way to the Father, then the most kind thing that Jesus could say is, I'm the only way. And the kindest thing that we can say to a world, the kindest thing that we can say, thanking God that has been revealed to us, the kindest thing you can say is to say to someone, there's no way to God except Jesus. That is kindness. And we must understand that if we truly recognize the news given to us in the Bible, that apart from Jesus, there's no way for people to reach God, then it is not unkind to tell people that as long as you tell it to them with a prayer in your heart. And a burden that God in his grace may help them to see that. Years ago, I was talking with a lady. She said, 
Well, I think there's many ways to heaven. I think there's so many ways to heaven. It's just like, you know, if I was trying to go to New York City, I could take this road, this road, or this road. And I said, ma'am, that's the issue. You're not trying to get to New York City. You're trying to get to heaven. And there's only one road. There's only one road. Folks say, but there's so many people who are so sincere. They're so sincere. They're sincere in their faith. They don't agree with us as Christians. They don't agree with our faith. And they're so sincere. They have their way and they're so sincere about their way. Yes. I remember, again, a few years ago, several years ago, actually, Susan and I were traveling back to my, our hometown in Indiana. This was back in my seminary days, so it was many years ago. But I had just finished a shift at Roadway Truckee, loading and unloading. I had just been all through all day classes, and now we're driving all the way to central Indiana. And I made it to Knoxville, Tennessee, from South Carolina. I said, honey, you're going to have to drive for a while. She said, I'll be glad to, glad to. I said, let me get it. We'll go up 75. Okay. I said, she said, what do I do? I said, all you do have to do, just stay on 75. And right before we reach Cincinnati, wake me up. I, she said, okay, great. She turned the radio on. I fell asleep. A while later, I woke up, saw a sign, said, welcome to Louisville. <laughs> Oh, she was sincere. Oh, she was having a time. Had an oldie station on. <laughs> We're in Louisville. All the sincerity in the world was not getting us to Cincinnati. Sincerity in and of itself is not salvation. It's a sincere faith in Jesus. That brings salvation. Jesus shares that limitation, but did you see how he started? But let's go back. Jesus didn't start with a, limita a limitation. He started with an invitation. Look at verses one and two. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. Literally, stop letting your heart be overwhelmed with trouble. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Personal invitation. A personal invitation from Jesus. Believe in me. A, a personal invitation to Jesus. It's, it's to believe into Jesus. Believe in God. You believe in God. Believe in him, but believe in me for it is the father who has sent me to take you to his house. Believe in me. Jesus has an answer. He had an answer for a, another political leader. Jesus 
gave the same answer to that political leader that he would give to Bernie Sanders today. What was it that Bernie asked about? Condemnation. Sir, do you believe people who do not share your faith are condemned? What did Jesus say to the political leader Nicodemus? One of the senators of his day, what did Jesus say to Nicodemus? Here's what he said. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to what? Condemn the world, but in order that the world through him might be saved. God doesn't want anyone to feel the burn. And he so desires that no one will know the torments of eternal punishment for their sins that he sent his son not to condemn the world, but to save the world, not just to save Christians. Guess what? We weren't Christians before we were saved. He came to die for the world, all peoples, and whoever believes in him is what? Not condemned. Whoever believes in him, believe in me, he says. Whoever believes in me is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is what? Condemned already. Folks, listen, the issue of condemnation or not being condemned is not out yonder in standing before God someday. It is a reality right now. There are only two kinds of people in this room this morning. Those who are not condemned because they have believed into Jesus. And those who are already condemned because they have not believed into Jesus. This is not judgment day and God decides on judgment day what he's going to do with people. It is right now, present tense. Jesus says it's either condemned or not condemned. And he is the issue. And whoever believes into me is not condemned. There is therefore now no what? Condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Have you believed into him? If you're believing in this church to save you, you're condemned. By God's grace, myself and the other pastors, I want this to be a biblical church, a Christ-honoring church. But if you're believing in this church for your salvation, you are condemned. If you're believing 
that even a prayer, the prayer saved you, you're condemned. If you're believing that baptism saved you, you're condemned. If you're believing that communion or good works saves you, you're condemned. It is only in believing in Jesus that we're not condemned. And yes, church is important. And yes, prayer is important. But you recognize that a person believes before he or she even offers the prayer. The prayer itself has no merit. The, the words have no merit. The merit is in Jesus. And it's when I transfer my reliance from myself to Jesus in that moment I am saved and the prayer is the expression of it. Where is your hope? I press in, folks, this morning. I plead with you this morning. Where is your hope? Where is your confidence? He that believes in the Son is not condemned. And God's people said, Amen. Yeah.